All right, well, it is good to be here. Really thankful that we have the opportunity to praise God together and at this time to open up His His Word and to not only see the things that He has said and to learn more about Him, but also to reflect on ourselves, to consider our lives, consider maybe the things that we have t- traditionally thought and believed, and really see how it holds up, to see how it compares to what God has said. A couple of things from the last song that I just wanted to point out that I really appreciate. There's a really challenging thing and a really comforting thing. And maybe you find a lot of things challenging and comforting in the last song we just we just sang. But in the second verse, he says, test our thoughts, or, or actually he doesn't say, we just said. Test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity. That's a challenging thing. I mean, that's, that's humbling. To pray, to, to sing to God, test our thoughts and our attitudes and compare it to the radiance of your purity. But then uh, the thing that I find very comforting is towards the end of verse two, words of power that can never fail, let their truth prevail over unbelief. It, it just reminds me of the times where the disciples struggled and there was a couple of times in particular where they just said, increase our faith. And it was because there was something specific that they really couldn't get their heads wrapped around. For instance, how is it difficult for a rich man to, to inherit eternal life, to enter into the kingdom? How is that possible that it would be difficult for that? Increase our faith. Things like that, that, that are hard for us to understand, hard for us to put into practice. Um, it's God's word that never fails, and it helps triumph over all of our unbelief. So when, our, when we find it difficult to, to believe, we need to go to God, we need to go to his word, and his word will, will strengthen us and will, will triumph over all unbelief and lack of faith that we have. So today what we're going to do is we're going to have a sermon that is focused on the theme, and it's going to be from Philippians 2. We usually have a couple things posted on this board here. It's downstairs, I think. Uh, We forgot to get those before they kicked us out of our downstairs room and moved us up here. Uh, We are very thankful that we have this place. As James mentioned at the beginning, it, it was rainy and dreary, and that can affect mood and it gives me headaches sometimes, but I know one thing is that I'm really glad we're inside. We have a space every Lord's Day where we can come and we can worship with each other. So our theme for this year that began in September is that we shine as lights in the world. And it's from Philippians 2, like James read earlier. But we have two goals. We have a living goal, which is to shine as lights in the world. That's our, what we hope to put into practice. We have a learning goal, and our learning goal is that we work out our own salvation. And if you look here in Philippians chapter 2, he says in verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And if you go down to verse number 15 is where he says that among whom you shine as lights in the world. So that, that's where it comes from. So really this, this whole year, the, the last Sunday of the month, this is what we've been focusing on. Something from Philippians 2 or something that relates to Philippians 2 where he says this. I want to focus on the working out our salvation today. And I, I want to just get you thinking a little bit when you've typically heard that phrase or have thought about that work out your own salvation what just think don't say out loud but just think what comes to mind what have you typically thought that means to work out your own salvation one of the things that i've often focused on is the fact it's work out your own salvation so you can't work out my salvation i have to work out my salvation and I can't work out your salvation for you. You have to do that for yourself. So there's this idea of taking ownership and to realize your personal responsibility in this matter. 
But then the, the idea of working out your salvation, that's the part that I guess traditionally I thought was one thing. And since I was studying this, I, I now think it's something different. I've heard the phrase uh, for a long time, and I, I don't know if I've really if I've really understood what it means. I think I've actually taken for granted what it means. So I was, I'm hoping that as we look at this today, that maybe you've thought the same thing I have thought in the past, and maybe this will help you to to reshape your thinking a little bit. Um, I'm not trying to change everything for you or, or you know really pull the rug out from under you or anything like that. I think that as we study this this morning that this will actually help us to, to understand more, um, more fully what Paul is saying to the Christians in Philippi. So this idea of working out your salvation, really the phrase work out, that's found in a lot of other places. But specifically here in Philippians 2, this is what I think we usually believe this means. It means to make sure that you're saved. Make sure that you are saved. Make sure you know what it means to be saved and that you're confident in your knowledge. Maybe some people believe this means that you find your own faith and beliefs as opposed to just going off the beliefs of your parents or grandparents or the pastor or the teacher, you know, whoever it is that you, that you learned under. You know, work out your own salvation instead of just going by that. Or maybe it just means that we need to figure out the details of what a Christian life looks like. What does purity look like? What does holiness look like in my life? And that's how I work out salvation. And maybe that means I need to to decide on some moral issues or even gray area. That instead of thinking about the fundamental things about Christ and and he being the son of God and me needing to repent of my sins and be baptized and to pursue salvation. Instead of thinking about the foundational things, working out your salvation means figuring out the details. Working out the details of, of what your life needs to look like. Maybe what it means to some people is that, well, we all have different abilities and opportunities. We have different knowledge and different experiences. And so we have to work out what our salvation looks like. We have to work out what our life looks like and what God expects from each of us instead of worrying about others. I don't think those things are wrong. I just don't think that's at all what Paul is saying here. The, I, I did not write down the Greek word for work out because I couldn't say it anyway. And even if I could say it, it would just be because I listened to how it was pronounced on some app or I Googled it to see how it was actually pronounced. It doesn't do me any good to actually say, oh, this is what this word says and this is how you pronounce it. You don't need to know that. What, what you need to know is what does the phrase actually mean? Where else is it found? So we can understand what Paul is talking about here. When I think of workout, I think of actually working out and lifting weights. So I, it's like work that you do. So the word here actually does mean to accomplish, to work fully, or to achieve. But that's like towards the end of something. It's not like, you know, at the beginning of it or while you're doing it. It's, it's the idea of something coming in the future. Another thing that this word and the phrase means is that to do that from which something results. To bring about or result in work. So what that means is that it's not the actual work itself. What he says when he says working out is actually something that is produced from the work that you've already done. Now, it's still something that is being accomplished, but you're not actually accomplishing it by working it out. You've already worked something out, and then this is what's happening from that, if that makes sense. So I want to take a look at uh, several passages where this is used, and we're primarily going to be in Romans and 2 Corinthians. 
it is interesting that this seems to be a very, this is just a, a Paul word, it really seems. Uh, it's used a couple of times by James and by Peter, but it doesn't come up in your New Testament as far as when you're just reading from Matthew all the way to Revelation in the New Testament. It doesn't come up until Romans. And it's used a lot in Romans. Of the, I think there's 25 or 26 different times it's used, I think almost half are in Romans and definitely over half are in Romans and 2 Corinthians. And so, and we'll talk about why that might be a little bit interesting in a little bit. Let's go ahead and go to Romans chapter 4. And we're going to quickly go through some of these and just, I want you to notice the way the word is used in each of these texts. So Romans 4, let's look at verse 14. Let's back up to 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is, the adher- it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. The word where it says brings, brings wrath is actually the same thing that he says there in Philippians. It, the other translations say it worketh. It worketh wrath. So the law works wrath. Well, is the law actually doing works? I'm not saying a person doing the law. The law itself, is it actually doing works as a law? No, written commandments don't do anything. Like they're, they're not, they don't have hands. They're just words that are spoken or they're things that were inscribed on tablets of stone. The law is, is nothing. It can't accomplish anything necessarily by itself. It's not a person that can do works. So let's go over to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5 and let's... Look, beginning of verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So the word here where Paul uses the same word as in Philippians is actually in verse 3 where he, has the, he says, Suffering produces endurance or worketh endurance. Again, same thing. How can suffering do something? The idea really is that suffering accomplishes something else. Or back in Romans 4, the law accomplishes something. But it's not works. Suffering isn't working something. Through, some, through suffering, something else is worked out. And if you look here in verse 3, it says that through suffering, endurance is worked out. Endurance is accomplished. Let's go over to 2 Corinthians. If you want to hold in Romans, you can. We're going to go into 2 Corinthians uh, quickly. We actually talked about this a little bit Wednesday night where we're studying through 2 Corinthians and this verse was referenced. It's in uh, chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians and, and verse 10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. The word produces there is the same word. So godly grief or godly sorrow produces or works out repentance. And then let's go back to Romans, Romans chapter 7 and verse 8. And this will be the, the last passage in Romans that we're going to look at. Romans chapter 7, and let's go down to verse number, uh, verse 7. 
What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced or worked out in me all kinds of covetousness. So sin was at work. Sin is accomplishing something here. And I wouldn't have known covetousness if it wasn't for the law, he says, but the law revealed that to me. And now sin is at work to bring about covetousness, to bring about sin. Now let's go back over to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we'll begin in verse 4. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Here, the, the idea of worked out is actually where he says, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. So in, in all these verses, and there, and there were several others that we could have gone to, I, I felt like this is a a fair representation of different uses, positive and negative, where something is worked out, accomplished, or produced. And one thing that seems pretty consistent to me is that it kind of goes against what I thought that word meant in Philippians. I thought it was, I need to work something out internally and work something out in my head to figure things out so that I know I have salvation guaranteed. I need to work something out. Not that I think salvation comes from works. I didn't think that necessarily, but I, I thought there was something I need to figure out. I need to struggle through some things so that way I, I'm, I'm secure in my salvation. And that's not really what I see when I read those passages. What I see is that I'm doing something or something is, is being done. And then through that, something else takes place. Something else is accomplished. Like I said, the idea primarily is, is used by Paul. And since it's used a lot in Romans, one of the other interesting things I did notice was that in Romans 1 through 11, it's used the most. It's only used one time after chapter 11. And if you know much about the way Romans is laid out, chapters 1 through 11, really the message that I get from that is you can't produce righteousness yourself. You can't do anything that would lead you to eternal life and salvation by yourself. Because here's what the law did. Here's what the natural human does and all of those things. And it leads us all the way to chapter 12 where then he talks about how we're living sacrifices. And 12 through 16 is about what is a Christian life supposed to look like in light of the fact that I can't be righteous on my own, but the righteousness that God gives me, if I have faith in that and I follow that, I can actually live a Christ-like life. So it's interesting that this idea of working out and what I'm supposed to be doing is only used once in 12 through 16. So really, what he's done in chapters 1 through 11 is go through all the things that are accomplished through all the different methods, all the different paths, just to show that I can't actually accomplish righteousness by myself. Well, that's not at all what I thought that word meant. What I thought that word meant was that I'm supposed to do something that then leads to something else. I'm just supposed to do this. That's not what that seems to mean. So this working is something that is happening because of something else. Another thing at work leads to something else or produces something else. 
another result. So let's go back over to Philippians. In Philippians 2, let's just reread 12 and 13. And let's just consider, now that we kind of know what that word means, I just want you to think through, what is Paul saying here? So Philippians 2, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So the way I read this verse now, after looking at it, is that the working out that I'm doing is I'm just obedient. And the working out that is also happening is God is at work. So if you look here, you obey. You've always obeyed, so keep on obeying, is really his message in verse 12. Through that obedience, you are working out your salvation. Well, how is that even possible? Because it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So this is a little bit different than the Ephesians 2, where it says something about how uh, we are God's workmanship created in Christ for good works. I, I think we get that a little bit in verse 13, but really this whole works idea is so much more about it is God who is working in you. God is accomplishing something in you because of your obedience. And what he hopes to see is that you will work for, with his good ple- for his good pleasure or with the intent of his good pleasure. But at the same time, I also read verse 13. It sounds like God is working and God is working to, um, to will and work for his good pleasure. And what's he going to do or who is he going to do that through? Well, it's going to be through you and through, through me. So it just kind of changes how I view this typically. So the first thing I wanted us just to make sure we understood is what does it mean to work out our salvation? Well, what it does not mean is that I need to find my own faith. What, now, I'm not saying that you can't find that somewhere else, that you can't go to some of the scriptures and see that being true, but that's not really what Paul means here. I also don't think Paul means that I need to struggle to see what does a Christian life look like. And then once I do that, I'm somehow working out my own salvation with fear and trembling. Again, that's part of what we need to be doing, but I I don't think that's Paul's intent when he says that. I think Paul's main intent is, Christian, you need to be obedient. And you need to obey even though I'm not there with you. You were obedient when I was there. You'll be obedient again when I am there. Obey when I'm not there. And through that, you're working out your own salvation because God is at work in you if you're obedient. If you're not obedient to him, and he's not at work in you. He's not working things out. And, and what we typically think of when we think of thing God is at work within us is like all about shining his lights. It's all about, all about our influence. I actually think that there's another way that God is at work. I think God is at work in bringing us to salvation when we are obedient. Not just in other people noticing our works and then glorifying God. Again, that's a that's a very biblical idea. That's something that Jesus says is something we see in other passages. But I see God at work in both ways here. I see God at work through our works, but God at work within us, bringing us to salvation because of our response of humbly obeying him. So what I want to do with the rest of our time is I want to back up a little bit and I want to read verses 1 through 11. And I want to just notice and compare some things that it says about Christ here all in reference to what this looks like to work out our salvation through obedience. So let's read 
Philippians 2, beginning of verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Had this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Christ, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. First, I just want to point out that as far as how we are to obey, I think if you look at verses 1 through 4 there, I think that's a pretty good pattern of how we are to be obedient. Now, that's specifically of how we treat other people and how we look at other people. Maybe, maybe even more specific how we treat and, and, and um, I guess how we regard our, our brothers and sisters. But, but if you look at what he says there in verse 5, we need to have a mind among ourselves, which is also in Christ. So this mind that was in, within Christ is the one that did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He humbled himself. He emptied himself. He took the form of a servant, and he was obedient to the point of death, even the shameful death on the cross. So, obviously, if we obey like Jesus, I think what he's saying is our salvation is being worked out. But it takes humble obedience. And if you look back in verse 12 of what we already read, we're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Well, that's the same way that, that Christ was obedient to the Father, humbly. He was humbly obedient. And we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, humbly obeying God. And then he says that, that we are to, be, to obey even when absent from Paul. Well, if you look at what he says about Christ, Christ left the Father. Jesus left the Father and came to earth. So he was absent from his Father, just like these Christians were absent from Paul. And what is the expectation? That you're faithful. That you obey regardless of if you're around the instruction, if you're in this uh, almost, I hate to say it this way, but like safe zone where you have the person there that just, it, and there's like some confidence in like, I'm going to do whatever he says because he's right here. When you're not around that person or you're not in that situation, what are you going to do? And I think Paul's message is pretty clear. Well, you, you need to continue to obey. And that's an encouragement for us. That's an admonition for us as well. When we're not in our safe zone, when we're not at home, when we're not around our group of great Christian friends, when we're not in the church, when we're not in Bible study, when we're other places, maybe it's a work environment that is like a safe zone for you. Well, when you're not in that situation, when you're not around your family that just kind of holds you to a certain standard, when you're not in the comfort of your home with your, with your whether it's roommates or whether it's family that you, know, you kind of keep track of each other, when you're not around any of those people in any of those circumstances, will you keep obeying? So salvation is worked out like God also highly exalted Jesus. That's the other interesting connection that I, I kind of noticed. So 
Christ humbled himself. We are to be humble. He obeyed. We're to obey. Well, well, if we're working out salvation, what was Christ accomplishing in himself through his obedience? He was exalted. God exalted Christ because of his obedience. And God will save us because of our obedience. Now, again, I'm not trying to preach uh, a faith or a salvation of works. I, I wanted to be clear about that at the beginning. That's why I made the point to say this isn't things that we do. But to say that obedience is not required is not at all fair to what the scriptures present. We are saved by grace through faith, and it's not of our own. But faith without works is dead. I mean, I'm just kind of cherry picking a couple of passages here. So if you kind of combine all of that, it's pretty clear. Righteousness is not, from Romans, righteousness is not gained. Righteousness is not attained by myself. It is only through God. And it's because of my faith that I can be considered righteous. My faith is also something that is a working and active faith. But all of that is even possible because of the grace of God. So if we think about it in that, from that standpoint, then it makes perfect sense why Paul would be saying this. Because God is the one at work. He is working in us. However, if I'm not obedient, then God is not working anything through me. He's not at work within me to where other people are, are seeing him and are drawing closer to him. And he's not working within me to bring me to salvation either. It's going to take a humble, obedient heart in order for, for a person to be saved, for God to be working within that person. Our obedience has meaning because God is working through it, not because it's just words on a page. You could do everything that we can read in the scripture. And at the end of it all, if you have not humbly obeyed from your heart, and if you've not turned to God and submitted yourself to him, that's another thing. If you look back at verse 7, Christ emptied himself. You have to empty yourself. You have to totally commit yourself to the Lord. And only then is obedience meaningful. And I want us to notice that not only are we working for ourselves, not only is something at work just for us, it's actually at work, it's actually at work and, and he is working through us for his good pleasure. I didn't grow up with my biological dad in the home, so I, I didn't know that feeling of like, you know, this, uh, this almost, this joy, and this feeling of bliss when like, you know, you pleased your dad. You know, I, I mean, I kind of had that a little bit with my granddad. I had that a little bit with my mom, my stepdad a little bit. And I had it with other people who you could just see it. You know, you could just feel like they told you to do something or they gave you the tools to do something. You did it. And then there was just this kind of moment where you could feel it. Well, that's exactly, I think, the, the picture is painted here. God hopes to accomplish something through people. He wants to accomplish salvation through people. Specifically, he wants to accomplish salvation to others through his people. He wants to bring others to himself through us, through Christians. When we do that, we are accomplishing this, and he is accomplishing this for his good pleasure. It pleases the Father when we do this. It pleases him to save. It pleases him to see us and to see others bow and confess Christ. He is pleased by others bowing and confessing Christ because of our example, because of what we have done. He is accomplishing all of it, though. We are only tools. We are only servants. Just like it says that Jesus was, he took the form of a servant, he took the form of a bondservant, of a slave. Well, that's what we are to be. We are to see ourselves 
as merely a vessel, as merely someone that is here to accomplish the work of another. That's not, that's not to mean that we don't have a reward. It's very clear that we are working out salvation. We have a reward. This is not a thankless thing at all, just like it wasn't with Jesus. So really, if you also take a look at this, if we confess and submit, then what are we accomplishing? Well, that's, when he says this in Philippians 2, and I was talking with Richard beforehand about this, I do think that he is referring to the end of all things, to you know, at one day he's accomplishing something where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. I want to read those verses again just from a little bit different perspective, though. Not just because it helps make a point, but, but also because I think it just helps to, to think about the personal responsibility that, that we have. So verse 9, Therefore God has highly exalted him, being Christ, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. God gave Christ this name to give people, to give you and me the opportunity to bow to kneel, to confess. Giving Christ the name that is above every name and giving him that authority and, and exalting him on high, it really does nothing if there is nothing produced from it. Kind of like our obedience is nothing if something isn't produced from it, which is salvation. So what is God hoping to accomplish? Well, he was doing all of that so that people would respond and humbly commit themselves to him confess that Christ is the Son of God, to repent of their sins, to kneel in humble submission to Him. So I, I believe that that's going to happen one day, but I believe that God was hoping that that would happen now. I believe that's something God wants to see from, from anyone right now. And so what's going to happen if we actually do that? Well, in Matthew 10, 32, Jesus says that if we acknowledge Him, that he will acknowledge us before the Father. The acknowledge is the same word, confess. So what is, who is Jesus going to confess before the Father? And what is he going to confess? Well, he's going to confess those that have confessed him. He's going to confess those that have named him as their Savior, named him as their Lord, and who live lives that reflect that. So what is he going to say to the Father about us? Well, without him to say something to the Father then we have no arbiter, as we were reading in Job last week. We have no intercessor. We have no hope. But thanks be to Christ, and thanks be to God for giving us Christ, that if we confess his name, he confesses he's one of mine. It's kind of like when he paints himself as a picture of being a shepherd, and he knows his sheep. He, he, he says to the Father that, you know what? He's part of my fold. He's part of my flock. Not that God doesn't know it, but it is only through Christ that we have that hope. And I think that's really why it says it that way. So just to kind of wrap up and, and to make sure that we're, we understand this a little bit better, we're not going to work out our salvation just by figuring things out internally in our heads and in our hearts. We're going to work out salvation for ourselves when we humbly obey the Lord, when we understand that we need to respond to Christ in a humble, submissive way. And God is working out the salvation for us. 
And he is hoping that things will be worked out through our obedience as well. And that is that others will come to him. If we empty ourselves, like it says about Christ, which that's probably the hardest thing for me to think about. If I'm going to think about obeying, I'm thinking, okay, well, I'll I'll obey the best I can. (laughs) If I'm going to be humble, I'll say, well, I'll be as humble as I can be. But then I I see this thing where it says that Christ emptied himself. What happens if I empty myself? There's a lot of fear there. There's a lot of concern I have for that. Because if I empty myself, then what am I left with? Well, if I empty myself, then what I'm going to wind up seeing is that I'm going to get the greatest fulfillment ever. Because God will fill me. God will fill you. And what I don't mean is that God will come into you and there will be some sort of like you know magical thing. What I, what I mean by saying that is that if you give all, if you surrender all, then you will gain all. You will gain everything. You will gain more than you ever could have hoped. That's one of the cool things that I've noticed as we've been studying through Job. And I think about Abraham. Those that empty themselves. Not that Job decided to empty himself. He, it was taken from him. Those that respond to God the way they need to and empty themselves. And they're left with nothing. God gives all. He, he rewards them with more than they ever had. So I guess the question for us today is... Have we worked out salvation by being obedient to the Father? Have we responded to Christ? Have we knelt before him? Have we submitted to him? Have we confessed his name? And if not, then God's not working out salvation for us. And when I say us, I don't mean us collectively. I mean each individual person that doesn't do that. God's not working out salvation. But for those that do, God is accomplishing salvation. And therefore, we are accomplishing salvation. I hope that these thoughts have been helpful and that maybe if it didn't change your perspective, that's fine. I wasn't trying to rock anyone's world with that. But this was just totally different than what I ever thought that that verse meant. And for me, it's more empowering and it's helpful as I move forward because I know that God's at work and I'm, I'm actually accomplishing something through obedience. And it's not something that's just tangible. It's not something that everyone's gonna see. It's something that is reserved for me in the heavenly places. It's something that God is accomplishing And he hopes to accomplish that with each and every one of us. So if you are here and you have not yet been baptized, if you have not yet confessed Christ as Lord and as your Savior, and you want to talk about that, or you know you need that, well, that's what we're here for. We're here to help you with that. But it also could be that one of us has been really struggling to obey the way we need to. It's not unique to you. That's something that we all struggle with. But if you feel overcome with that, and you need some prayers, we really want to pray for each other about that. Because we're not going to be able to do that alone. We're going to, we're going to need some help in those things. So I guess my admonition as we wrap up is, let's work out salvation for, for ourselves. And if you need to respond to the Lord in any way, and we can help you with that, why don't you let us know as we stand and as we sing.